Well, good morning, Advent Hope. Good morning. It's good to see you here. And as Javid says, it's not just a rumor, it really is true. Um, this really is my last sermon to Advent Hope while I live here, and perhaps the last one ever. And um, that's not for me to say, but um, just by way of update, I have used the beginning of my sermons to kind of let you know what's happening. Um, the call has finally gone through for us to go to Trinidad, and we will be going to Trinidad 1st of March. We will be in Loma Linda through the end of January. And um, well, I'll be gone the next three Sabbaths after today, and then I may be here one Sabbath in January, and then I'll be doing like hospital rounds on the neurology service the last two weeks of January. So really this is one of my very last Sabbaths here as well. So one of my last opportunities to share with you. And you know, it's been a, a great privilege and a blessing for me to be part of this group. And I have a lot of things to say, probably not enough time, but more time than usual. We've got up here at 10.15, so thank you to everyone, and thank you for the, the music this morning. Um, you know that song, Watch Ye Saints? Do you know what you're singing? While the seventh trump is sounding, the mystery shall be finished. That's Revelation 10. And it was written in 1844 describing the experience of the Advent movement. Those people understood the experience of that song, and we, do, we need to understand the experience of that song as well. So thank you for singing some of my favorite songs today. Why don't we have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath day. We thank you for the privilege to be here at Advent Hope one more time. I pray that you would be with me, bless me, and speak me, speak through me. May I be lost sight of, and may Christ be lifted up. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, it's been eight years since Advent Hope started. How many of you knew that? Advent Hope started January of 2002, first Sabbath of January, and there were 20 of us who met over in the Schumann Pavilion, room 605B. We had a hard time finding it um, because there was room 605 and we didn't realize that you could put a partition to make part A and part B. And we found out on that Sabbath that there was another group meeting there as well. So that made for an interesting first Sabbath. We met there maybe two or three weeks and then we moved over to West Hall. And we had about 30 people coming. And we stayed at West Hall till about spring of 2004. We were kind of bulging at the seams in West Hall with about... 80 people coming by then. And so after about two plus years in West Hall, we made the move to Burden Hall, where we were at from 2004 through June of this year. And obviously the Lord blessed in a great way during our time there. And we transition from having just a lesson study to having a lesson study from 9 to 10 and a sermon from 10 to 11. And um, since that time, we've been having close to 300 people coming on Sabbath. And obviously, numbers are not 
the most important thing. It's the quality of the characters of the people and that come and that are produced that we care more about. But it's been so good to see how the Lord has blessed and how this group has grown. And, you know, it's interesting. I was on the, the original group of leaders that started Advent Hope. And I believe that I am the last one left on the leadership team. And now I'm leaving too. You know, that's the nature of Loma Linda. Loma Linda tends to be a place of turnover and transition. And I never dreamed that I would be in Loma Linda for nearly 10 years of my life. Um, I moved here in the summer of 2000. And I was just, I just turned 23 years old. And boy, I thought I knew so much. And then I hit med school. And I realized I didn't know anything. And by the grace of God, I became a doctor and became a neurologist and have been able to participate in helping relieve suffering and continue the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ here at Loma Linda. And I am thankful for that opportunity that I've had here. Um, coming to the end of my time in Loma Linda, coming to the end of eight years here at Advent Hope, you know, it's, it's nice to leave with a very positive feeling about Advent Hope. And not everybody gets that opportunity. Sometimes people leave under a cloud of whatever. And to be able to have so many friendships here, to have had so many positive experiences, to, cre to have created so many lifelong friendships, lifelong memories. You know, I don't know, I just feel so blessed how many people have had the opportunity that I've had and that many of us have had here to be here, to see the moving of the Holy Spirit, to see God work in a powerful way, to, show, to see that God still wants to come back. And that he's going to have a group of people that are talking about his coming and that are proclaiming it and that are living in preparation for that. To have had that opportunity here at Loma Linda. Boy, if you had told me the end from the beginning, when I moved here 10 years ago, I probably would have fell over. I, I just cannot believe, humanly speaking, the privileges that I have had while living here in Loma Linda. You know, I can trace the major conversion of my life to my freshman year of medical school back in 2001, going to a church retreat, and I was challenged by the messages of Peter Gregory, and that was a, a turning point in my life, and it was ironic, it happened for me, several months before September 11, 2001. And when September 11, 2001 came, that was just like the explosion for so many of us that, you know, it's not just enough to be on fire for God. We've got to do something about it. We need to share the message of a soon-coming Savior with the world. And we need a place on campus to share this message. And so a group of us got together and by the grace of God, within a few months after September 11, Advent Hope started. 
And within a year after that, the first GYC happened at Pine Springs Ranch. And the conversion experiences that came from there, I, I know talking to Paul and Janie, Paul, who's one of our leaders here at Advent Hope, just how they can trace the moving of the Holy Spirit to that experience way back December of 2002, and now GYC is seven years old. I can remember the first restoration when Peter Gregory came to campus for two and a half weeks at the Campus Hill Church, and how it was just a further fire in my bones for, for doing something for God, hearing the messages, seeing the lives that were changed. And then the following year, we, the next restoration, more people were converted. Jason and Janelle Shives, who are no longer here, they came in strong. Now they've gone to Orlando and started a similar group over there. I remember the first Southwest Youth Conference, which um, for better or for worse, I had the opportunity to help lead out with. And um, Mike Tuzon's here today. Boy, it was only by the grace of God that we made it that year financially, but he provided for us. And the, the way the Holy Spirit moved at that conference, Brad and Amber Strother came in through that. They became leaders here, and now they're active in a church in North Carolina. You can see how people have come here, how lives have been changed, and people have gone from this place to serve God in other places. And I hope those of you who may be new to Loma Linda, maybe this is your first year of medical school or dental school or one of the other allied health professional schools, you will take the opportunity while you are here in school to get training to go out to other churches when you leave here to share this message with the world. You know, there's um, one of the other very positive things that happened to me um, in my time here in Loma Linda, my senior year of medical school, I had the opportunity to spend a few weeks with Peter Gregory in his Iona school, going to school with him every day, and we were going through the book of Revelation. And as many of you know, I have a deep love for Daniel and Revelation, and I really gained it from going through those classes with him. And one of the other things, good things that happened to me um, while I was at Iona, I became very good friends with Alistair Huang, and I see his family is here today. Alistair and I became really good friends during that time, and it was during that time that he um, introduced the idea to me of um, a young lady who would become my wife. <laughs> and I will forever be grateful to Alistair for that. Um, you know, Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And I can truly say that I have found a good wife. And I feel the favor of God because of that. And she may be blushing, but it's true. And that's, I guess I'd have to say that was easily the best thing that happened to me while I was here in Loma Linda, getting married to Joelle. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for Advent Hope. Because Advent Hope is my family, and I will miss you. And <clears throat> this was not part of the, the script. <clears throat> As I considered what to say in my last message to you, the thing that came to mind is talking one more time 
about our prophetic identity and mission. For us as a people. You know, it'll be interesting to get to heaven and see through God's eyes what happened here in Loma Linda the last few years. And it's, it's been a blessing to be here. And I'm just thankful for all the experiences that we've had. And I wanted to talk a little bit about God's message to his last day people. As we come to the end of our time, as I come to the end of my time, and as I come to my opportunity to move on and do mission service. And, you know, one of the great things that I appreciate about Loma Linda is the opportunity to be part of the mission program. And I had the opportunity to sign up for the deferred mission program um, back when I started medical school. And, you know, when you sign up for that, it's like... Oh, someday when I finish medical school and someday when I finish residency, I will someday go to the mission field. And all of a sudden, nearly 10 years later, the imminent departure to Trinidad is is here. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to go and to, to go to the mission field and to be able to serve the Lord in that capacity, but I definitely will miss the fellowship that I've had here with all of you. And, you know, we do have a mission to take to the world, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity to take this message and mission to Trinidad. Now, speaking of our prophetic identity and mission. As you know, I really enjoy speaking about the topics from Daniel and Revelation. And the way I look at the book of Revelation as it describes our identity and mission, you have seven churches, seven seals, and seven trumpets. And the linking together of those three help us to understand that. And for those of you who went through the Revelation class that we had, this may be a little bit of review, but you have the seven churches initially, ending with the Laodicean church. And we know that the Laodicean church is the last of the seven churches And the word Laodicea means a judged people. So this is God's judgment, our church. And the description of God's judgment, our church is that it is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So here is God's last day church, and yet we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not a very good description of God's last day church. How could God's people, living in the time of the judgment, have such a bad experience? This is God's people. 
And the message to God's last day church that they need to hear is, Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. Let me come in. If you do so, you will overcome as I overcame. So the message to God's last day church is, you are the judgment hour church, but you are in a very bad condition and you need Christ to not only cover you, but to come into you. And the question is, how could it be that God's last day church could be in such a bad condition? And is there something that gives us hope as we continue through these series of seven, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets? Does the seven seals answer a question for us left unanswered by the Laodicean message? Because Laodicea is described as being wretched. And the only other time you find that word wretched in Scripture is Romans 7. The Romans 7 man is wretched who does what he doesn't want to do and doesn't do what he wants to do. He's carnal sold under sin because he's a slave to sin, and that's Laodicea. And yet many people say, no, Romans 7 is fine. That's the experience we should have. No, it's not. How do we get from the Romans 7 experience to being God's people ready for the judgment. The seven seals give us a little bit more information. When you get to the seven seals, you see that from God's last day people, His last church, His judgment hour church, comes the 144,000. And the question is, how did the 144,000 come out of Laodicea? You mean that group that's wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? How did the 144,000 come from that? And if you look at the seals, you'll see in the sixth seal, the last thing that has happened historically was the falling of the stars in November of 1833. The next thing to happen is the second coming. And when you get to Revelation 7, it says that there is a hold on the four winds until the servants of God, the 144,000, are sealed in their foreheads. So something is delaying the sealing of the servants. It's called the Laodicean condition. God's last day church, they're in a bad state. Yet somehow the 144,000 come from the last day church. And the question is, how could that be possible? The answer is found in the seven trumpets. When we come to the seven trumpets and we come to Revelation 10, we see that while the seventh trumpet is sounding, and we sang about this this morning, while the seventh trumpet is sounding, the mystery of God should be finished. Specifically, we see that God raises up the second advent movement with a prophetic message that is a message that is to proclaim the mystery of God being finished while the seventh trumpet is being sounded. And it is this message of the mystery of God being finished that will prepare the 144,000 from God's last day, Laodicean church. 
What is that message of the mystery of God? You know this. It's Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory, is finished in the second Advent movement that God raised up, then we will see the 144,000 and the ending of this great controversy. And the question is, as we come to the end of Revelation 10, it says, thou must prophesy again. God has raised up the second Advent movement with a prophetic message to prepare God's last day people for translation. And the question is, what is that prophetic message? You know this, but as you go through the sequence of Revelation, it becomes clear. The prophetic message is found in Revelation 14, the three angels' messages. So here's the sequence of Revelation with our prophetic identity and mission. Seven churches, Laodicea is the last church. It's the judgment church, a people judged. A church of the judgment hour, and they're in a bad condition. And yet the message is, if you let Christ come in, which is the mystery of God, you will overcome as Christ overcame, and you will be prepared to stand in the judgment. And as we see the terrible condition of God's people, we see in the seven seals that it is from God's last day church that the 144,000 come from. And when we see the seven trumpets, we see it's the prophetic message of the second advent movement that raises up the 144,000. And just so you know, when God has his 144,000, he will translate them. They will not see death. Did you know that when God raised up the Second Advent Movement in the 1840s, he raised it up to prepare people for translation? God didn't raise up the Advent Movement so that we could have 165 years of going around the circle every time. Did you realize that? God raised us up to be translated. When you were born, when you accepted Christ and the Adventist message, God's perfect plan for you was translation. Now, if it's really true that the three angels' messages are to prepare the 144,000, And if it's really true that our purpose in life is to be the 144,000, my burden as I share my last message to Advent Hope is, my challenge to you today is to be the 144,000. And in order to be that group of people, we need to understand the characteristics that they represent. And we find that in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. And we are going to read that right now. Revelation 14, chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Here it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. The revelator John has seen so much strife, so much turmoil, God's people under attack by the beast powers that we see in Daniel and Revelation. And then he comes to Revelation 14 and he says, Lo, the Lamb 
and the 144,000. God's people standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb. Finally, he sees a scene of victory. God's people standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion, the 144,000. And you realize that the book of Revelation has been written to prepare God's people to get to this moment. That's what we should be living for. We should be living to stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb as the 144,000. People all through history have not had the opportunity that our generation has had to be among the people that can be among the 144,000 that stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion. That is what we should be living for every day. And they have their Father's name written in their foreheads. Now, I like that because I'm a neurologist. <laughs> the, the forehead is where your frontal lobe is. That is where the willpower is. That shows they have made a conscious choice to assimilate the Father's name or His character into theirs. It's a conscious choice. And it's interesting, Isaiah 57, 15, we'll turn there briefly, describing God's name. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. How is God's name described here? His name is holy. And the 144,000 have the Father's name, which is holy, written in their foreheads. This tells us that God's last day people that come from his last day church are a holy people. They have their Father's name written in their foreheads. They have his character in their foreheads. And he continues on, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. But no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Did you realize that you have an opportunity to learn a new song? A song that no one else has sung? You know, that song is described in Revelation 15. It's described as the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. When you sing a song in Scripture, it describes the experience that you pass through. The song of Moses was sung by the children of Israel after they had passed through the Red Sea and had gained a signal victory. They were singing a song of their experience. And the 144,000 are going to sing a song that describes an experience that no one else has had. The song of Moses and the Lamb. These are the group of people that will pass through the time of trouble, an experience that no one else has ever passed through, and they will come out the other side victorious. No man could learn that song with the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women. Now there's clearly the prophetic spiritual application. But 
I will just make mention briefly, men, don't defile yourselves. It's not worth it. Be a man of integrity. And spiritually speaking, God's last day people are not defiled with the women of Revelation, the harlots and her daughters. You see, we don't need to go to the other churches to find out what our last day message is. We need to go to Scripture to understand what our last day message is. Once we start inventing PR techniques to try to attract people instead of letting our message attract people, we've lost it. And as I leave here, I challenge the leaders of this group. I challenge those of you who attend here, don't water down the message. Stay faithful to the three angels' messages. They were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. How would you like to follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever he goes in heaven? Well, you know what? If you're going to do that in heaven, the place to learn is here on earth. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We need to learn how to behold Jesus more every day. If we're beholding the Lamb on the cross, we're not going to be walking according to the sparks of our own kindling. We're not going to say, God, 90% of the time I'll follow you and 10% I'll do my way. When we see Jesus on the cross, when we see him high and lifted up, when we see what he did for us to die for our sins, and when our heart is broken and melted by that, we're going to follow Jesus every step of the way. And sometimes Jesus suffered. Sometimes it wasn't pleasant. And he may cause us to go through similar experiences, but we will learn to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Continuing on, these were redeemed from among them, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. First of all, we see that these are the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. I don't have time to talk about that, but they are representative of the harvest as the firstfruits. And then we see that in their mouth was found no guile, for they, were without, they are without fault before the throne of God. That reminds me of the promise in Jude 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne with exceeding joy. Did you know that that's what Jesus is trying to do for his last day people? Jesus says, if you let me come in and you overcome as I overcame, you will sit with me on my throne. And here is a group of people who have had that experience. They are without fault before the throne of God. And in their mouth was found no guile. Now you will find it interesting that 1 Peter 2 describes Jesus as having no guile. It says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And then it says, when he suffered, he threatened not. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. But he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't say, how dare you say that to me? Don't you know you just crossed the line and insulted me? I'm going to show you a thing or two. No, he committed everything to his father who judges righteously.
And we need to learn to keep our eyes on Jesus so that when we are mistreated, we don't fight back. That we don't fight back with guile, with a torrent of words that misrepresents God's name. We need to represent Christ. And He gives us the power and the strength to do so. They are without fault before the throne of God. That means that the judgment hour people in the judgment were found to be without fault. You may wonder, how is it possible for God to prepare a group of people who have an experience like this? How is it possible that the three angels' messages can produce such a group of people so that by the end of the third angel's message, God can say, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. How is that possible? Well, if you go to the book of Hebrews, and I'm sorry I'm going out to all of my favorite books today. (laughs) If you go to the book of Hebrews, and you come to Hebrews chapter 12, we are called to run a race that has been set before us. We are called to run this race in chapter 12, verse 1, because of the great cloud of witnesses that has been set before us. Who is this great cloud of witnesses? Ellen White tells us it's the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, and the context makes that obvious anyway. The heroes of faith, Abel, who worshipped God in the right way and he paid for it with his life. Enoch, who was so close to God that he was translated that he did not see death. Same as the 144,000. Noah, who built an ark and faithfully proclaimed the message of the flood, just as God's last day people will faithfully proclaim the second coming of Christ. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah, who were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They were not living for this earth because they were seeking a better country. That is, an heavenly country. Moses, who chose to suffer the afflictions of God rather than the pleasures of sin for a season in Egypt. And as we go through the rest of the chapter, as we come down, starting in verse 32, Paul says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy." Could that be said of us? Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. 
And when I read that, humanly speaking, I read, you're telling me that there's going to be people that will have a deeper experience than the people of Hebrews 11, of whom the world was not worthy. People who decided they would rather die so they could obtain a better resurrection. You're telling me that there's a group of people that are going to have a more powerful experience than that? That they without us should not be made perfect? And because of time, I'll just say this in passing. The word perfect here means to have your sins blotted out in the judgment. Those people are lying in the graves waiting for us. The 144,000 of Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, and Revelation 14, 1 through 5. Starting in Hebrews 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, here, Scripture implores us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. If it wasn't possible to lay it aside, God wouldn't ask us to do it. And God says, I'm going to give you the power to do it. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And there's that word patience. The patience of the saints. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is learning to look at Jesus as the Lamb of God and as the author and finisher of our faith as we run this race that has been set before us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice this race, and I've talked about this before. This race begins when Jesus endured the cross. That's the author of our faith. He despised the shame. He ran the race. He finished it. And now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's interesting... Jesus says to the Laodicean people, if you overcome as I overcame, you will sit with me on my throne. That means you run the same race that he ran. That means you'll exercise the same faith that he exercised, which means you will have the faith of Jesus at the end of that race. So here you have now patience and the faith of Jesus. And we see Jesus, after he finishes the race, he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, tells us that Jesus is not only the author and finisher of our faith at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 8, 1, we see that Jesus is our great high priest seated at the right hand of God. And Hebrews 8 tells us that as our great high priest, he is the mediator of the new covenant as he is seated on the right hand of God. What is he doing as the mediator of the new covenant on the right hand of God? His plan is to write His law into our hearts and minds. Which means that we will be a commandment-keeping people. So what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's our high priest. He is helping us to run with patience the race set before us. He gives us His faith, the faith of Jesus. And He writes His law into our hearts. That, my friends, is the 144,000. They, 144,000, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They do so because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, doing that work for us. As we learn to look unto Jesus, 
as the Lamb of God, as the author and finisher of our faith, as our great high priest, He will take away our sins, and in the judgment, He will blot them out. So if you ever wonder, how is it possible for me to have a victorious Christian experience? The answer is found with 144,000. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, because you will follow him. You will run the same race. And because you learned to run that race with patience here in this life, when you get to heaven, you will follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. God is looking for people today who will follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. The last passage of Scripture that I will share with you begins in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is Paul's last message to Timothy shortly before his death. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. There will be a judgment. What is his last charge to Timothy before he is about to die? He says, preach the word. You know, that was on our pulpit over at Burden Hall. Preach the word. Keep preaching the word here, Advent Hope. Don't be afraid or ashamed of the word of God. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Whether it's fashionable or not fashionable to preach the truth of God, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And notice, we do it with long suffering. That means patience and love. That doesn't mean yelling out from the audience if we don't like a speaker. It's long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know, <clears throat> Elder Robert Pearson in his final appeal to the Adventist Church when he was General Conference President said the following, and I'm only going to read a short portion of his message. He said, Already, brethren and sisters, there are subtle forces that are beginning to stir. Regrettably, there are those in the church who belittle the inspiration of the total Bible, who scorn the first 11 chapters of Genesis, who question the spirit of prophecy, short chronology of the age of the earth, and who subtly and not so subtly attack the spirit of prophecy. And I would say, may this be a place that upholds the spirit of prophecy. Did you realize that Ellen Ellen White wrote The Conflict of the Ages primarily to reach non-Adventists? So why are we so afraid and ashamed to mention her name? People who come into the church who don't know anything about her, we're, we're not selling them the full package. We're being deceitful. God has given us a gift. And may Advent hope remain faithful to that gift because if you start to tear away the things that God has given the blessing of God will not stay with you. There are some who point to the reformers and contemporary theologians as a source and the norm for Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. There are those who allegedly are tired of the hackneyed phrases of Adventism. There are those who wish to forget the standards of the church we love. There are those who covet and would court the favor of the evangelicals, those who would throw off the mantle of a peculiar people, and those who would go the way of the secular materialistic world. Fellow believers, 
fellow leaders, beloved brethren and sisters in Advent Hope, don't let it happen. I appeal to you as earnestly as I know how this morning, don't let it happen. And then he says, I appeal to Andrews University, to the seminary, to Loma Linda University, don't let it happen. We are not Seventh-day Anglicans. Not Seventh-day Lutherans. We are Seventh-day Adventists. This is God's last church with God's last message. And as I come to the end of this passage in 2 Timothy, this is Paul speaking. And, of course, he's describing the time that he is about to die. And by the grace of God, I don't think my time on earth is quite here yet. I pray it's not. Um, But with respect to my time in Loma Linda, by the grace of God, I hope that I can say, starting in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I pray that we will all meet someday very soon under the tree of life. That we can all say by faith that we have fought the good fight of faith. And as I was thinking, you know, this is my last sermon here to Advent Hope before I go to Trinidad. You know, I want to see you in heaven under the tree of life. My prayer is that it will be because we have been translated as the 144,000. Wouldn't it be neat to meet at the tree of life from 9 to 11, Sabbath morning? (laughs) Advent hope time. And you know, it won't be the same if some of you aren't there. I truly hope and pray that even if this may be one of the last times I see some of you here on this earth, that we will be faithful to the Lord, that we will be faithful to the three angels' messages, that we will be faithful to the spirit of prophecy, that we will be faithful to the standards of this church and to God who gave us those standards, and that we will be found faithful in heaven very soon. You know, as nice as this life may be, nothing compares to the glory that is going to follow. And it's been one of the preeminent privileges of my life to have been part of Advent Hope for these last eight years. I don't know what will happen in the future. I know that challenges lie ahead. I also know that someday the time of trouble is coming. And I just pray that those of you who remain here will recognize what a great privilege what a great privilege it is for you to be a seventh day adventist to understand the full truth of what Christ has done and is doing for you that you will not become embarrassed or ashamed of this message and your attempts to reach people not of our faith that you will hold the standard high, that you will be faithful unto the end. And you know, if there's one regret that I have from my time here in Loma Linda, it is this. It's that Jesus hasn't come yet. 
I thought after September 11 that Jesus would come before I left Loma Linda. And I pray that his coming still will be very soon. And I pray that this group will be a shining light around the world. You don't realize that what happens here, it affects other places. Audioverse goes all over the world. We have a duty to be faithful and to uphold the truth to this world. So may we be faithful. This is my prayer. Thank you. May God bless each one of you. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being Seventh-day Adventists, of being followers of Jesus who died for us and who is seated at the right hand of God, who will write his law into our hearts, will help us to run with patience and to help us overcome as he overcame so that we can have his faith. May we have that experience. May we wake up out of our Laodicean stupor of being wretched, of having the Roman 7 experience. And may we become servants to God, dead to sin, and followers of Christ all the way. I pray that Jesus will come soon and that we will be among the faithful that will be alive to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. May that day come soon and may we be faithful. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.